Amen. And we do need him. Every hour we need him. The title of this morning's message is, Is It Too Late for Me to Turn to God? We're going to be reading in a moment from 2 Chronicles, an Old Testament book you probably haven't heard from lately. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We'll begin reading there in verse 1 in just a moment. Men, as you may well be aware, many of our ladies were at the Beth Moore Conference this past weekend. How many of you ladies got to go? Look at that. A bunch of them did. And so some of you guys may have felt left out, and I want you to know that tomorrow we have our first monthly men's luncheon for the new year. We'll gather up about 11.45 in the student center. We'll have Hogapalooza barbecue. That's what gets everybody to come. And we'll have a guest speaker. This year's theme is a man's walk. And we're going to be studying a man's walk in different areas of his life. Tomorrow, we're going to be focused on a man's walk with his purpose. The reason that God made you. We're going to talk about your walk in that area. And Pastor Carl Weatherford from the Ridge, Ridgewood Baptist Church in Forest City will be our guest speaker. So we want to invite you to come and be a part of that. And then we're also starting Thursday morning at 0545. Our first Thursday morning men's breakfast and Bible study for the new church year. And we want to invite you to come. We're going to be studying discipleship this year. Not only how we grow as disciples, but how we can help others grow as Christ followers. And so, men, I want you to take note of that. Well, if you found your place in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, please follow along with me as I begin in verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images and he worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever." And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. 2,600 years ago, Manasseh became known primarily 
for two achievements. He reigned beginning at age 12 for 55 years. Longer than any other king had reigned in Judah. So he's known for his longevity. But it was also the lowest, most morally corrupt reign of any king in Israel. And so not only is it known for longevity, it's known for its depravity. Manasseh led the nation into the most awful forms of sin. He rejected his father's legacy. Hezekiah had been a good king. He rebuilt the high places, which were places of idol worship that his father had torn down. He had reinstated Baal worship, wooden idols, astrals, poles, and he defiled and desecrated the temple, putting in, in it different altars for other gods and the Asherah pole. And then he took his own son and he burned them alive in the name of his gods. And he seduced an entire nation to do the same. Now when you read about Manasseh in 2 Kings 21, another book, nothing is said except of how evil he was. And 50 years after his reign, the evil that he had caused, the, the leadership that he had given of the people of God away from God, ultimately led to the downfall of the nation of Judah. Israel was already gone. The northern kingdom was already in exile, already destroyed. And the kingdom of Judah, this king Manasseh, he was the first king to rule with only one part of the nation remaining. If Manasseh had searched the scriptures for practices that would most offend God and then do them, he could not have done a better job. He was very effective. Now the question is, that comes to mind is this. Why didn't God just take him out? Usually a 55-year reign, a long reign, would be a sign of the blessing of God. Why didn't he take him out? And then you might be thinking, looking at your life, you may have come with a family member or a friend today, and you're not a person who attends church. You're not a person who's ever given a whole lot of thought about God, but as you think about your life, you're thinking, no God would accept me. Why doesn't God just take me out? What about me? Well, it took nearly 55 years, but what we're about to see is that God took a man named Manasseh, and those 55 years were not evidence of God's blessing on a righteous king. It was evidence of the patience of God waiting for a man to come back to him. And God may be waiting for you to come back to him. He was waiting for Manasseh, and if you don't know him, he's waiting for you. You may think, is it too late for me because of the things I've done, the mistakes I've made, the problems I've caused, the people that I've hurt? Is it too late? I want you to know that if a man like Manasseh can start over, you can too. Starting over with God depends on the answers that you give to three questions. Here's the first one. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Listen to verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. He sent prophets to them, 
is what he's referring to. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks. That means they stuck hooks in his cheek or his nose or his lips like a wild animal to pull him around. With hooks they bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now he didn't carry off the whole nation. He just carried off Manasseh. Verse 12. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Manasseh was in trouble. And what I want you to see is the role that trouble plays in a human heart coming back to God. God uses trouble. It's not his preferred way. The Bible says he spoke to them, but he uses trouble. Three observations about trouble in Manasseh's life. First, trouble is a loss of control. That's the very nature of trouble. It says here in verse 12, he was in affliction. And that word in Hebrew means to make something narrow, to apply pressure. We would call it being in a tight place or being in a crack. And Manasseh's trouble was a result of a political disaster that occurred between 653 and 648 B.C. An Assyrian ruler named Ashurbanipal experienced a revolt by his brother who was ruling over Babylon. And during this civil war between brothers, Egypt to the southwest of Israel also revolted looked at it as a prime opportunity to break away from this dominant king, Ashurbanipal. And Israel was caught in the middle. Israel had to make a choice. Do I stay with the king, Ashurbanipal, or do we go with Egypt and we revolt and maybe gain our freedom? And scholars suspect that Manasseh chose the wrong side. Are you in trouble? You also need to realize that trouble, secondly, is a pathway back to God. Trouble is a pathway back to God. Listen to verse 10 again. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them. God acted. He did something. Now, God didn't start out by bringing trouble in Manasseh's life. If you look at verse 10, it says clearly God spoke to Manasseh and the people. His preferred method of getting your attention is to speak to you, to speak to you through other Christians, people who know Christ, who will share faith with you, who will share truth with you. His preferred method is to speak to you through his word, to speak to you through the pages of the Bible. His preference is not to bring trouble into your life. He started by simply speaking to him, but he wouldn't listen. So God spoke another way, and that's when the trouble came. God brought trouble in direct response to Manasseh's sin. And God often uses trouble to get our attention. Is God capturing your attention right now through your problems? There's a third observation about trouble in Manasseh's life, and that's this. Trouble is a moment of decision. When that trouble comes, you have a decision to make. And how will you respond to that trouble? Manasseh quickly forgot the high places, forgot the idols, forgot all of the other false religious things that he was engaged in, and he focused on God. 
He placed his hope entirely in God. He wasn't looking anywhere else. Jesus Christ said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's, not, there's 2,100 places you can look for your hope, but there's only one where hope can result in a changed life and forgiveness. And so it's a moment of decision. Or you can keep doing what you've been doing. When I was a little boy in South Texas, we had doodle bugs. I think we have doodle bugs in the Delta. You know, doodle bugs, we call them roly polies. You ever play with those? I did. When I was four or five years old, they told me that I'd spend hours playing with a doodle bug till it would drop dead. I'd put it down, it'd be a little ball, and it'd roll and go about a, I'd watch it walk away about six inches to a foot. I'd pick it up, put it back where it started. It'd do it again. I'd pick it up and put it back where it started. It'd do it again. I was, I'm easily amused. <laughs> Some of you are like that, though. God speaks to you. God speaks to you. God speaks to you. God creates a circumstance designed to get your attention, designed to draw you back to himself. You don't listen. You go right back to your other places where you have placed your hope, where you have placed your trust. You haven't placed it in God, and you keep doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. Listen, trouble is a moment of decision. And for Manasseh, as bad and evil and ungodly and offensive as he was to only God, there was a moment of decision in his life. We are bred in our culture, in our society, hopelessness. It's in our media. It's in our music. It's often in our conversations with one another. But the truth is there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have lost hope. And you can place your hope in God. You might be saying, I'm in too much trouble, pastor, to turn to God. Manasseh would say, it's because I'm in trouble, I must turn to God. Where is your hope? There's a second question you need to ask if you're going to come back to him, and that is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Look at verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. Look at that turning point. I'd circle that in my Bible. And prayed to him and received, he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. In verse 13 it says, he prayed to him. Now what's interesting about this prayer, something I want you to notice, is it's referred to, if, you, if you're looking, uh, it's referred to in verse 18. The Bible says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. We don't have that book. We have 1 Kings. It's not in there. We have 2 Kings. It's not in there. But somebody wrote down his prayer. But we don't have it. And God in his wisdom did not preserve that prayer. What does he want you to know? He doesn't want you to know the words that he prayed. He wants you to see something about Manasseh. He wants you to see Manasseh's heart not his words, because it's not the words you say that matter the most. It's the attitude 
of your heart. And there are three characteristics that we can see here in Manasseh's life as he cries out to God. These are the markers of his heart. Here's the first one. Desperation. Desperation. In verse 12 it says, he implored, implored the Lord his God. You know, sometimes English, it's just inadequate to capture what's happening at that moment. That word implored means to become weak or sick. And, in, and the way it's used here, it's intensified. And it's describing a deep, intense grief or longing. Manasseh was broken. Sitting there in the darkness of his cell, covered up with his problems, he began to see his life from God's point of view. He saw what he had done. He realized how far he had missed the mark of what God had for him. He knew he had blown it. And he knew there was no hope for him unless God intervened. And you may feel that way this morning. And if you do, you have the heart that Manasseh had. He was desperate. He was desperate. But there's a second marker of Manasseh's heart, and that's the word surrender. Surrender. Again, in verse 12, it says, and he humbled himself greatly. Humbled himself greatly. Humbled means he came under God's authority and rule in his life. No longer was Manasseh calling the shots. And he placed himself there. It says he humbled himself. He humbled himself greatly. It means he, in the New Testament sense, it's drawing near that the Bible describes. In James, he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's not drawing near in terms of space from this location to this location. It's drawing near in terms of relationship. And he is surrendering to the lordship of God in his life. Are you ready to give God control of your life? Jesus Christ did not die on the cross just so he could forgive you he died so he could rule you. That he might be Lord both of the living and the dead, the Bible says. Well, not only is he desperate and ready to surrender, but his heart is also marked by persistence. Persistence. It says, and he prayed to him. He humbled himself and prayed to him. And the word prayed there means to intervene or interpose yourself continually before God, nonstop. And people who turn to God talk to God a lot. Have you noticed that? People who turn to God talk to God a lot. And so this was not a single prayer, although somebody recorded it and we don't have it. But he was praying. He was crying out to him. He was seeing his life from God's perspective, and he was talking to God all about it. Oh, God, where's your heart? Where's your heart? You want to start over? Ask yourself, where's my hope? Ask yourself, where's my heart? And then finally, ask yourself, where are your hands? Where are your hands? Look at verse 14. Look what happens when Manasseh turns back to God. 
After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed Offel, and he raised it to a very great height. So he built a wall. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah, the whole nation, to serve the Lord God of Israel. Manasseh's starting over. He's found his hope in God. He's put his heart, trust in God. He's a new man. And now his hands are showing it. Inner transformation. An encounter with God here will always show up in terms of outer reformation. The way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you act, the way that you treat others. It's not turning over a new leaf, but it's the release of a new life that's already growing and already developing on the inside. How can you give him your hands? Look at what happened in Manasseh's life. First, receive your calling. Receive your calling. In verse 14, it says, after this, he built a wall. He built these walls. He fortified the cities. He put military commanders on the wall. Why did he do that? Because that's what kings are supposed to do. That was his job. That was his purpose. That's why God made him the king. And you have a purpose. And you have a calling. And you may say, why? I don't know anything about it. You will. You come to him and you'll discover why God made you. You'll discover why you are here. You'll discover your purpose and why God has saved you. But you have to come to him. Receive your calling. Secondly, remove your idols. Remove your idols. It says he took away the foreign gods. And boy, he was thorough, at least in Jerusalem. He took away the altars. He took away every single symbol of anything that was not God. He took all of it and he put it out of the city. And this is something that he did continuously. It was not a single act. He was doing this as a habit of life. Everything that used to guide his life was gone. Everything that used to be his source of security and hope, it was gone. Everything that used to occupy his heart affection was gone. Everything had changed. God, when he comes into your life, hear me, he will accept no rivals for your affection. He wants your heart, he wants all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus taught us that. He summed up the Old Testament law that way. That the greatest commandment, this is what God most wants from you, is that you love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with everything. Remove your idols. And then finally, restore your worship. Restore your worship. It says in verse 16, he also repaired the altar. The altar where sacrifices were made to God. Manasseh's building a place for God in his life, a place where he can go every day 
a place where he can go and encounter God, a place where he can offer himself to God. He has rebuilt a space in his life for God. And this bowing down to him is not a one-time act either. He was repairing this altar physically, but he was repairing the altar in his heart his entire life. When you come back to God, our calling with our hands and our life is to keep our passion for him white hot, always. Are you like Manasseh today? You feel like you've ruined everything? There's no hope for you? You know, the loss of a hope is a big deal. We've seen recently famous people who have everything, wealthy, taking their own life because there's no hope. And I'm here this morning just as a child of God to say to you that in him there's always hope. If you are even asking the question, can I turn back to God, there's hope for you. And I want to invite you in just a moment to respond and to give your life to Christ. Give him everything you are, and he will forgive your sin. He will change your life from the inside out. I want to close with this one thing, this illustration. I know the choir probably saw this and, and wondered what was going on. But I got a birthday cake here. And in this birthday cake, there are 62 candles. You say, Pastor, why'd you put a 62 candles in a little cake? Because I didn't want to buy a big cake. And, um, and it, was, it was for Manasseh. This is Manasseh's birthday cake. And the Bible tells us that he began to reign when he was 12 years old. And he reigned 55 years. And the best we can tell from scholars, this transformation in Manasseh's life occurred about year 50 of his reign. So 12 plus 50 is 62, all right? Now, I don't know which candle here represents year 62, but what I wish you could see, I'll try to do this, it will come off. See all, all those candles there? Every one of those represents a year of God's mercy. God was not giving him a long reign because he was a good man. God was giving him a long reign because he's a patient God. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, every candle in your birthday cake is a year of the mercy of God. Another year where he's been patient with you. Another year where he has spoken to you. Another year where he has called to you to come to him. And like Manasseh this morning, could be year 62. If I can get it lit. There it goes. This could be the year. 62 years old. All his life, he'd spent running from God. And then the year came where everything piled up, trouble became so great that he finally heard God. He put his hope in God. His heart was transformed. <laughs> as he saw himself from God's perspective. And he was a different man. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. The Father sent Jesus Christ into this world on a rescue mission for you. If you've never put your trust in him, this is an act of worship that we do right here. It's a way that we enable 
ourselves to respond to what God has said to us through our worship, our singing, through God's word, through the sermon, all of it together. This is the moment that we respond to him. And we say, yes, Lord. And how do you need to say yes to him today? If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that your sins could be forgiven. But even more than that, he died on the cross so that sin could be defeated inside of you and that you could have a new life with the Holy Spirit living in you, changing you from the inside out. When we stand and sing, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. And I want to invite you to come and place your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. They'll answer your questions. They'll share scripture with you. We're not trying to talk you into anything. If I could talk you into it, someone else can talk you out of it. But we'll share scripture with you. You can read it for yourself, what God's word says. And we'll help you through this process of putting your trust in him. Others of you, brothers and sisters, you may realize this morning that even though you know Christ and you've trusted him, he's speaking to you. And you realize he's been patient with you. And you know that there's something you need to do next. I don't pretend to know what that is, but I know how the Holy Spirit works. And would you say yes to him? When we stand and sing, you may just need to bow your head. If it helps you, you can come and kneel at the front. Maybe you have a burden for yourself or someone you know. You can just come pray for a while and then go back to your seat. Use this time as an act of worship. Let's pray together. Our Father in God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for its clarity, for its power, for the way that you speak to us through this book. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would move among us, drawing people to yourself. And we want to set our attention, and we want to set our minds, and we want to set the eyes of our heart on you. So that this moment becomes a sacred moment and a holy moment where we are saying yes to whatever it is that you're saying to us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and light had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you But as I ran my hell, how did God speak to your heart? Indifferent to how are you saying yes to Him right now? You looked upon my what is His word to you? And led me to the cross, and I God's love is It's not too late. You, you need to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. This time is for you. Hallelujah.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, so much that you don't give up on us. The proof of that will always be your son on the cross. And we know that no matter how great our sin, that we serve a greater Savior. And our trust is in you. Father, as we receive this offering today, we think of missionaries around the world who depend on our gifts. We think of members from our own church family who are serving in South Asia and in Africa today. And so many countless others that we love and we care for. And Father, as we receive these gifts, we pray that you would use them to fund ministry here in Wynn and in North America where so many people need to know Christ. But we also pray you would use these gifts around the world. And may you be pleased and may your gospel be heard everywhere. And may every soul have the opportunity to hear it. For we ask it in Jesus' name.